This episode of the Vincast Australia's premier wine podcast is brought to you in part by differentdrop.com at the cutting edge of sourcing Australia's most innovative, sustainable and exciting wines. They are sourcing some really fantastic producers, usually made in very small volumes, and uh, and and really they're so ahead of the game that they uh, they've been on the bandwagon for some producers who are only now starting to get the recognition they so truly deserve. If you go to differentjob.com, you'll find a huge selection of wines made by producers around the country. Uh, a lot of the time, they might be previous guests of this podcast, or maybe they'll be future guests of this podcast. And you can put together your own little pack, or you can choose one of the packs that the guys have put together so lovingly, and they'll ship it out to you anywhere in Australia. And it only takes maybe two to three days. Uh, if you spend over $150, they will charge no freight. So um, all you need to do is uh, seek out some wines on the website, put in the special code VINCASTVINO at purchase, and for your first order over $100, you'll get $25 off. What a fantastic deal. So thank you, Different Drop, for your support of this podcast and all those great Australian wines. Episode 62 of the Vincast, I talk with Julian Castagna, the original biodynamic vintner based in Beechworth, who shares his stories about discovering wine whilst working as a director in the UK, and then how he came to establish one of the great vineyards in Victoria. there Vincasters and welcome to another episode of the Vincast. My name is James Gasbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino and as always it's great to have you on board. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode of the podcast with Neil Prentice, titan of Australian wine and particularly Melbourne hospitality. Uh, it was a great chat. Uh, I enjoyed it and I hope you did. If you did please let Neil and myself know. You can do it on, uh, on social media or uh, even better if you go to the iTunes page for uh, the Vincast. Uh, leave us a rating and review name check neil um send us some feedback uh, I'd, i love hearing from people it's great when people hit me up on twitter or instagram or facebook um you know sharing what they've enjoyed about the podcast but it's also good to hear you know if you've got people you'd like to hear from particularly if you think there's a someone involved with wine that um, would be able to share a fantastic story i'd love to hear from you so uh please guys i love hearing from you before I start this week's episode with another uh, icon of Australian wine, uh, I just wanted to um, share with you um, on YouTube, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen some of the Let's Taste videos I've been posting, including the uh, the recent Let's Taste Live, where we tasted some Australian Grenache, my friend James Dawson, who is a sommelier, and I, uh, which was fantastic. It was great to have people on the live stream. Uh, next week, on Wednesday, the 12th of August, at 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time, I'm going to have my first 
winemaking guest um, joining me live, showing me some new releases. It'll be former podcast guest Brendan Carter from Unico Zello, fabulous uh, wine producer, very small wine producer based in the Adelaide Hills, very dynamic, sourcing fruit from a couple of different South Australian regions. He's going to be showing me uh, four of his new Fiano wines, as well as a couple of other ones, which I'm really excited about. So please, if you are interested in joining us on the stream, you go to YouTube, go to the Intrepid Wino uh, channel, and you'll see that the uh, the live stream of Let's Taste Live, Unico Zello, and you can jump on the stream at 6 o'clock uh, Australian Eastern Standard Time on the 12th of August, and you can share your comments and ask questions of Brendan, and I'll be happy to ask them on the uh, on the podcast. And you'll be able to buy the wines as well at differentdrop.com. Uh, the following week on the 17th of August, Monday evening, same time, I'll be joined by Gary Mills from Jamsheed Wines, also former guest of the podcast. So for this week, I have um, a real icon of Australian wine, uh, Julian Castagna, uh, who is pretty much the original uh, biodynamic vintner here in Australia. He uh, had a, a very interesting career, particularly in, in terms of film. He uh, worked as a filmmaker and uh, worked in the UK and USA as well. And um, he started a, a vineyard in Beechworth, and um, found that he responded to some beautiful biodynamic wines in uh, in Europe and so decided that he wanted to make his wine the same way. So he joined me and shared his fascinating story. I hope you enjoy it. Um, please uh, let me know at the end of the episode. Uh, I'll be able to share with you the social media channels to uh, to share with and uh, and also comment on and send us your feedback. But uh, I uh, hope you enjoy. I'll see you on the other side. Julian, thank you so much for uh, making some time to uh, to be here to be on the Vincast. And uh, welcome. Thank you. Um, and I typically uh, start every episode with my guest uh, asking them what uh, their f- initial interaction with wine was that sort of set them on the path of uh, being involved with wine and, and devoting their their love, uh, you know, of wine to 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 life. In London, I was living in London at a time when great wine was still affordable (laughs) and um, I was trying very hard to get a job in films and finding it more difficult than uh, what sort of of job I was doing whatever I I could really yeah yeah. even like like Doug's body type stuff just oh I mean I I cleaned houses I did all sorts of things but I mean, did you want to be an actor or a no? Writer no, I want to be a director. I, I, I was. I. I. I had. Um, I had already been a film director. I'd worked. I'd worked here and I'd worked in Spain, but London at that time had a union policy. And, okay. And you had to have a union ticket to to apply for a job. Right. And you couldn't uh, apply for a job unless you had a union ticket. Ah. What so sort of was, films did you had you made? Oh. I mean, lots of things, but I worked for the ABC here, uh-huh. and then we'd got we uh, somebody called Boris Dambas and I went to uh, and worked in in Sweden, which was a total disaster for Swedish television. Right, and then we went to Spain, and I got into advertising, uh-huh. and um, and somebody offered me a job in London, which didn't eventuate, and uh, and uh, so I was in London. Pretty broke, and, right? And uh, and I I met a guy, the husband of uh, one of Caroline's friends, who was a wine broker. Okay. 
and uh, and so it was just like socially it, it with started, them. It wasn't it, it, like I mean, going it, out I mean, I'd always drunk wine at home with my parents, but, right? You know, and so it wasn't that I was unfamiliar with wine, but I was certainly unfamiliar with great wine. Where did you originally grow up? Uh, I came to Australia when I was about two, mm-hmm. so I, I grew up in Melbourne. You were born in England? I was no, I was born in Italy. Italy? Oh, mm, yes. cool. Okay. Um, Whereabouts? In Trieste. Ah, lovely. Um, Carso. And, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, but you. I mean, I mean, so uh, I. Uh, Do they have the same kind of culture of drinking wine when they moved here, in terms of like having wine I mean, food, I mean, that kind yeah, of thing? I mean, um, you know, my parents were. Um, very gentle folk, and so the wine that they drank, they drank out of a flagon, and sure. uh, and at the beginning of the week, it tasted pretty good. And <laughs> wish it tasted pretty horrible. Um, That's a very Istrian way of doing things. It too. is. It is. It is. And then, um, I mean, but I, I, I got, and I, I, I met somebody in the first odd bins. There was one odd bin store right. in, in Monmouth Street in yep. London. Yeah, uh, a guy called Ken Norman. Mm-hmm. And I was broke, and 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 he started teaching me about wine. He'd say, "Why don't you taste that?" Were you working there, or just 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 uh, social? No, no, just social. No, okay. I'm looking, looking for wine. Sure, you know, you know when, sure. Uh, and um, a cultural thing to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, at one po- one point, he said, "I I need you to drink um, a bit wider than you're drinking." So I said, "But I'm broke." He said, "Well, tell me how much money you've got." Right. Uh, uh, per bottle, and I'll find you things to drink. <laughs> and uh, Very and he did. Uh, and uh, you know, I said I have fifty pence per bottle. Far out. Uh, and they were still affordable at that stage. And and Mon and Oddbins at that time truly was Oddbins. What right. they bought, what they bought was what things, stuff that no one else wanted. Yeah. You know, Oddbins here. I, it, and it was, but it was amazing. But was was it a bit hit and miss as far as? Oh yes, no, there sure. was a, there was a lot of there was a lot of miss, but there was a, an amazing amount of hits, mm. amazing amount of hits. Mm. And um, if you know what you're looking for, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, and then he he had he had a a, a cellar full of uh, wine in bond. You're gonna to have to explain that to me. Okay, uh, in in England, you don't have to pay tax on it till you take it out of an area which. Has uh, so we, you bring it out into the general public, so to speak. Okay, so, 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 so it's like an importer imports spirits into Australia and, and they and leave it on the dock, but when it's sold, that's when you okay. But when you pay, so it's like deferring. It's deferring it, it, a tax. It, 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 that's right. right. But but what you could do is you could go in and you were allowed to go in and taste the wine. Ah. So I'd bring some a bit of ham and bread. Yeah. And we'd go in and taste the wine. And what we were doing was, you know, having, and, and he had some amazing wines. Right. Truly really amazing, amazing wines. Mostly French? Mostly French. Sure. A bit of Italian, uh-huh. a bit of Barolo, but mostly French. Mostly. Was there much good Italian wine back in those days? Oh, yes. There were some fantastic Barolos around that no one knew for nothing. Wow. Pennies. I mean, you know, I remember in that sort of area buying um, 68 Saskia for five pounds a bottle. Wow. Okay. Was that, that would have been one of the earliest vintages, surely. Yeah, it was the first or second vintage. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So, Amazing. Uh, and they couldn't sell it, like, you know. So it was, I bought 68, uh, 70, 71, 72 for pennies. And, oh, wow. 
Anyway, so that's that's really I I have you know and you and you get caught up in it and I caught and then. Um, but you got an appreciation for for fine nuances and, and, and no, no. But also, regional. I mean, the other thing is, I was I was working by this time. You know, this is over a period of time. Mm-hmm. By this time, I was working. Uh, I was in film as an assistant director. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy I work for loved wine, but knew nothing about it. Mm. So I bought his wine. So I had a, ma- a massive budget to to play with. You know, I whatever I wanted, and. Um, and he would uh, he would say, well, what, "What if you want? What if, you know, you, you you buy it, and that, that's good." So I, I bought it, and so I was invited to all the all the major tastings. I was always invited to, and Ken Norman, who was the guy from Oddbrins, um, it there was a there was a moment there when the sixty one uh, first growths were released, and they knew he was a broker, so the, the the companies wouldn't sell them to him because they knew that he would resell them. Mm. Um, but I was a buyer, and so they would sell them to me. <laughs> so I would buy them for him, and he'd uh, and he'd palm off some of them to me to uh, as payment. Sure. So that's how I started my cellar. Fantastic. Yeah. What were the what were your the, the the earliest impressions you have of wine? What what what's um, can you remember specifically what it was you connected with about wines that you particularly enjoyed back then? I mean, it's the same thing that I enjoy now. I think wine is a food, mm-hmm. and 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 because I love food, it's mm-hmm. part, it's that's part of the culture for me. It's a, it, it's a process. I drinking wine by itself is for me not a not an amazing happening. Whereas I think dr- drinking wine that matches and makes food taste better, or eating food that makes wine taste better, is an amazing. Uh, me were your parents into into food like yeah, yeah. my mother kind of my mother, love of my, cooking? my mother was an amazing cook mm-hmm. she could turn grass into something that you want to eat like, and uh, pay for particularly uh, were both of your parents from that part of italy yeah my mother told me after we started the vineyard that my grandfather grew wine for a living oh really and, yeah and i didn't know that because <laughs> i i certainly knew he made wine mm. but i I simply assumed when she said he made wine that he simply did things that were, which is what most Italian people do. They make enough for themselves. Sure. But in fact, he, he, uh, that's how they made their living. Right. What, would, what was their business when they moved to Australia? Uh, my father was a builder, a bricklayer to start off with, sure. and a builder. Classic. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you, you ate well? When you were in, in England? Well, we, I mean, you know, uh, n- not always. I mean, you know, I was broke. Mm. I mean, you know, in those early years I was broke. Mm. And uh, and so we, I learned to cook as well again. And, you know, I'd write home to my mother and say, you know, what we, you know, that dish that you used to do, how do I cook it? Mm. And we'd go to the market and at the end of the day and f- buy things that, whatever was left. Odd beans. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I, I learned to cook. Um, doing that. So how did you eventually um, come back to Australia? I came back to do, I was asked to come back to do a film called mm-hmm. Cyclone Tracy, uh, which didn't eventuate and mm-hmm. eventually became a television series. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we, I wanted our children to be educated in Australia. And, mm-hmm. and I wanted them to be Australian sure. rather, rather than English. Sure. And they were starting to become very little Lord Fauntleroy English. 
It's probably uh, a reference. I'm not sure how many of my listeners would get that reference. Uh, so, um, so that you know, we 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 came back and um, in in the early '80s, and uh, the film didn't happen. But I started a company that made advertising films. Sure, did other things, but advertising things that made money, which was very successful. Yep. Where were you based? Uh, based in Sydney. Okay. And uh, and then I was working in. I was working in New York for a little while as well. Sure. So, you know, I've worked in London, New York, and, and, and Sydney, really. A bit in Melbourne, but, but mostly those, those cities. As far as um, access to wines, the kind of wines you were able to enjoy, um, Sydney, New York, were they... I mean, no, well, the, you know, by the time I became a director, it was easy. And, and, be, and even when I was an assistant director, I was working with Cliff. Mm. Um, the director I told you about was a guy called Cliff Owen who's uh, made a lot of quite famous movies. And um, I had this ability to buy whatever I chose. Sure. So I'd go, you know, I'd look on lists and I'd say, we'll try that, that and that. Yeah. And so I had you know, an amazing upbringing in terms of palate. Did you have, ever have much opportunity to go and visit wine regions? Oh, no, all the time. Because so what, what, what I would do, what I would do is whenever we filmed near a wine region they'd go back and i'd stay for a couple of days yeah cool and and because i i wasn't a threat i was a film guy yeah uh people it wasn't like you were stealing secrets people were very generous sure and uh and so i you know i i often did vintage is not the correct word because i did very little but i often was present watching during vintage very often mm. d- during the time we lived in London. Did you ever film anything? No. 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 <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Filming was for money. Yeah, of course. Um, and what, what sort of, did you kind of take notes or kind of connect with particular I mean, wines I mean, like Biodynamic? I mean, no, not re- no, no. I mean, Biodynamics came later. That was, that was a different thing because it was sort of uh, a process that happened to me for what, once. It was always in my head. But really, I was going. When we started, we we thought of being sustainable, whatever that, sure, whatever that means. Sure, you sure. Know, it's, it's about as nebulous as natural wine is mm-hmm. in terms of what it means. Um, and and so for me, it it was um, I learned wine because I drank great wine. Sure. Uh, so I really, you know, I I had fantastic wines. I mean, really fantastic wines. You know, I had wines back to the eighteen eighties. Oh, uh, you know, we 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 had. I mean, it was all available and affordable. Mm. And so, as and and when it wasn't affordable, I would buy it when we were filming. Sure. Um, when you eventually did sort of move back to Australia, what were your impressions of Australian wines back then? I really didn't like it very much. Mm. Uh, was what one particular was well just because they were too big they were all too big it seemed to me that none of them really matched what i thought of as wine Mm. Um, could you sort of see why they did start to have a lot of success particularly overseas uh oh no i i I know why they had success because the french stuffed it up Mm. i mean what happened when australian wine became well known in Lo- in London, I can only talk about London. Of course, um, 
it, it changed from the power being with merchants who were very powerful yeah. to supermarkets being powerful. So the person who bought wine went from being the husband who had a relationship with a merchant mm. to the wife who did the shopping. So, and and just at, just the regular grocery shopping, and 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 became a bottle of wine, and wine wine became interesting, mm -hmm. and and the French, the French were making horrible. Uh, cheap wine at that stage, just yeah. horrible. Yeah, and uh, and we were making this really tasty stuff, and 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 it was a learning process. So they would take a bottle of Australian wine off the shelf. That mm. said Shiraz yeah. or Chardonnay or, or, or Chardonnay or whatever, mm. and it really didn't matter what else was on the bottle. Mm. As long as as it said Chardonnay, Shiraz, or Cabernet, that was the right price, and it was the right price, and it said Australia. Sure, it always tasted okay. Sure, uh, and but you had you had the fortune of of drinking some you know some great examples of uh, of European wines, and that's what you didn't find in Australian. Wines. And that's what I didn't find. And, and I came back, and I there were a bunch of us people who most of us working in advertising, mm. um, either film or advertising, mm. and we had a a group of people who bought and drank wine. It sure. would have a serious something at least once a month. And sure. We were called the Full Moon Club <laughs> and uh, because our first tasting was on, on a night of the full moon a, a long time ago. What a coincidence. Um, and, um, and then it, uh, it, all, it all sort of, they were all, you know, they, they kept showing me the, some huge wines mm. and I'd say yeah I'm, I really like a glass but I don't want to drink any more than a glass yeah of course and um, and I stumbled a time on a uh, on a bottle of Gioconda Cabernet mm. and I suddenly thought ah now we're back now we're talking again. sure and uh, and I and I rang Rick and said I really like your wine and uh, he said well come for me he said, make sure you bring some bottles. <laughs> I had a cellar full of amazing stuff, and he had very little at that stage. Right. I, and, uh, and, I got, and I got to know him. Uh, and, and then I, start, I, I realized that there were wines of that quality available in Australia, that I just, the people that I had associated with took me down the big path it right. is it's it is interesting the way that can happen like you connect with one producer and this producer might say oh well, actually you know you should try the wines from this person in this yeah. region and they're kind of you know it's like dominoes i guess a little bit and so that's i mean so that so i so i slowly found all the stuff that that is lovely mm. and there is much that is lovely and at what point did you start to think about, you know, establishing something for yourself, you know, oh, the idea yeah, about it, making it, your own It wine. was never an intention. Uh, you know, it was really wasn't an intention. I, you know, I, I got to a point in the middle, I guess in the middle of uh, 1990, 95, 96, mm -hmm. and I was not enjoying it anymore. The advertising. I, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was being paid a huge amount of money and no one was listening. 
and I, you know, and I thought this is not for me. This sure. is, this is uh, not where I want to be in my life. And uh, so I thought, so what do I do? And I thought, well, I only know two things. I know film and I know wine. And wine really isn't brain surgery. Um, and so I thought, if, it, if Italian and French peasants can make it, I can make it. So, the, so you thought I'd like to make it? Wasn't did you ever consider sort of importing it or no, or, no, or, no, no that ne- sort of thing? Never, no. It would, I mean, I'm I'm a producer. Sure. I, one way or another, what I am is a producer. Of course, in terms uh, of you know, and, making uh, film, making wine. Right, yeah. yeah. So, no, so for me, you're an auteur. Yeah, it never. I, I'm, uh, I'm very happy to drink other people's great wines, but I, I don't want to sell it to anyone. Sure. And you feel more fulfilled, you know, saying I've, I've made this. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, I think, uh, I think in 15 years we've done okay. You mm. know, I, you know, I think we make one of Australia's great. Uh, sure has us, mm. uh, and I think we make us one of Australia's great Sangioeses. I think that's pretty good for mm. a tiny producer like me in uh, in fifteen years. So when when you got the idea to to make wine, you wanted to be from start to finish. You wanted to be a vigneron, as as they would say, in terms of growing the grapes from your vines and and, and make the wine yourself. That was all, like what well, you... it was never in. There was never any other way. I, I I didn't. It didn't occur to me that I could do anything else. Sure. You know. I mean. I mean. If if you if you want to make film, you have to choose the actor. Sure. If you want to make wine, you have to choose the grape. Sure. And that means growing it. Apologies for interrupting this fascinating wine chat, but I just wanted to briefly acknowledge another supporter of the podcast, Plum Glassware, an Australian-owned and Australian-designed glassware brand that is made from high-quality crystal in Europe. Research was conducted by the guys at Plum to determine that realistically you only need two shapes for red and two shapes for white. Now, unlike other uh, glassware brands who might have a different glass shape for every variety and every style of wine you could possibly imagine, they have simplified things for the consumer and um, they have a red A and red B and a white A and a white B, and that really covers you for the main styles of wine that you, you could find. Uh, they also have a, a flute for sparkling wines and champagnes. They have different um, product ranges. They have an outdoor range as well, but they also produce some really beautiful decanters, and hopefully I'll be able to get a decanter on my YouTube channel, Intrepid Wino, and I'll do a little video about the importance of decanting wine. But uh, if you want to n- learn more about Plum, Simply go to plum.com and you'll be able to find out all the information. So thank you very much, Plum, for your support of this podcast. And when you started to think about places that you might like to, to make, you, you know, it was always going to be in Australia? Uh, yes. I, yes, I, I didn't really want to go back to Europe. Right. Um, we looked at a time about me making wine in France and that, that was a possibility for a while mm. but uh, you know I really had no training my training came from my palate <laughs> and uh, and so really it wasn't something that uh, would have been viable 
Right. So, and I had also had to prove that what I had in my head would work. Right. So when you thought about where you'd like to do it in Australia, did it take you long to consider Yeah, I did, because I really didn't want to go back to Victoria. I ran away from Melbourne when Melbourne wasn't a nice place to live in. You know, Melbourne has become Australia's premier city, in my opinion. Um, Victoria was somewhere I didn't want to come back to. But I kept looking and I kept coming back. I, you know, I kept looking at, at other people's work mm. and tasting other people's fruit. Mm. And I kept coming back to Beechworth. Mm. I kept coming back and I realised pretty soon that I, Beechworth is potentially one of the great terroirs of Australia. And it will be recognised as such in time. And, and I'm sure that, uh, you, you know, with your affinity with these great wines from, from Europe, you know, coming from predominantly cooler climates, mm. I'm sure that sort of definitely played into yeah. it. Yeah. So um, what, were the, what were your first steps to establish... Uh, your your own site in Beechworth. So, well, it was again finding a piece of land that worked. Mm -hmm. um, traditionally, the land in Beechworth is very skinny. When you say skinny, Me meaning there isn't uh, it's, there isn't richness in the soil. Mm -hmm. Good enough for one sheep per hectare. <laughs> um, but I I looked at the two producers that I liked there mm -hmm. and they were doing really interesting things and they were on different bits of dirt there was yeah, i guess geoconda and sorenberg absolutely absolutely and uh and i thought yeah okay so i really looked for land that was similar to geoconda sure and we found a bit and in the first year and then we planted and then I knew that I wanted to make wine different from the traditional way that was being made in Australia, mm. where things were acidified and it was all the, the, ma manipulation. The rose were the Charleston yeah. 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 Uh, wine by numbers. Yeah. Brian Rankin. So, uh, Bryce Rankin, sorry. Uh, so I, I didn't want to do that. Mm. And uh, so we bought, we bought some fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was an interesting experiment because both Rick and I bought two side-by-side -side rows from a vineyard in the Alpine Valleys. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we both made wine. And that year I made wine at Chiconda because I didn't have a, 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 a winery as yet. Mm -hmm. And the wines are, were quite different. Mm -hmm. And that was simply because of the, my attitude and his attitude. Mm -hmm. And I, and I found that extremely interesting. Mm. And uh, then the next year, we had planted two years earlier. And, uh, so in the 99 vintage, I dropped everything other than one bunch of it off every vine. That's, that's low yield. <laughs> um, and uh, we, 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 made, uh, we made some wine. And a friend took a bottle and put entered it into the Adelaide Top 100, two and a half thousand wines, mm -hmm. and I won. <laughs> and I entered it the following year, and I won again. And I entered it the following year, and a rosé, our rosé won it the following year, 
And I thought, no, no, that's now, now that's enough. I don't want to do the, keep doing this. And then the vineyard started speaking. And and when we started, our intention was to be sustainable. So we we weren't going to use nasties, but we were going to use whatever was required. Mm. And um, in that very first year, we were hit by something called uh, the African black beetle. Mm-hmm. And what the African black beetle is is a is a naturally occurring uh, um, bug which eats roots of of grass. Generally, I clean the grass up, and uh, so it ate the vines. <laughs> mm. And the so I got experts in, and they said use a product which I won't mention, but it was a horribly dreadful product. And when and we went and bought it because I wasn't going to lose what I'd done. I'd invested almost everything they'd left by that stage, and on the can was a, a big head, crossbow, head and crossbones saying, "If you get it on your." Hands get off your tractor. Make sure you wear, wear breathing apparatus. Wear full body cover. If you get it on your body, get off the get off the tractor, and go and have a shower. Mm. And shower for at least ten minutes. And I thought, wow. And if it's I, saying that, then what's it actually doing yeah. to, the, to the vines and to yeah. the yeah? And I thought, fruit? here am I. I'm trying to make one of the great wines of the world, and I'm about to put this rubbish onto the soil. Mm. And I said, no, no, it can't be. And uh, so I, I, I started making phone calls and got on an aeroplane and wandered around the world, talked to anyone who would talk to me uh, about. And because it seemed to, I, I remembered at that stage that I really liked what I tasted from biodynamic wines, a few producers that I tasted biodynamically. So I just went around the world talking to everybody who mm. would talk to me. Mm. Um, and I came across James Milton in New Zealand, who was an, an amazing help. Uh, other people as well, but James really, and the Biodynamic Association here in Australia. Mm. And uh, and then I started reading, and I got involved, and and that's how we became what we are. How big was biodynamic agriculture in Australia at that point? No, it wasn't. There, was, there wasn't anyone doing it seriously. There were lots of people trying to change the earth, right? But no one doing it because it made it taste better, right? So not even food, nothing, nothing. And and it was really it was really something that I did. I then got voted. Uh, I got. I became the pre- the chairman of Biodynamic Agriculture Australia. Uh, we had some money for education. And I said we should do a conference and bring great wine makers from around the world, and and they should talk to us about uh, about biodynamics and why they they are biodynamic, and then we I'll show them with wine why it's special. Mm. So in November two thousand and four, we did that. Mm. And from that group, really, almost everybody who's biodynamic today in Australia came out of that conference. It was about 160 people came. Mm. What were the decisions about what varieties to plant on your, on your vineyard? Uh, 
Um, was it you just sort of chose the kind of wines you liked and said, what are they made from? Yes, sort of. Uh, so I know that, like, someone... Like, I mean, I, look, the, the Shiraz, I, I knew that there was great Shiraz being made on granite. Okay. Um, In the northern and, 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 and I knew there was good Sangiovese being made on granite. Mm-hmm. And when I walked on the Lang, it seemed to me that it to have many similarities to Tuscany, which sure. is why we put Sangiovese in. Sure. Um, we planted uh, the Onya I planted because I wanted uh, the essence of what Vionia does to to Shiraz. And so I didn't even consider whether it was good for the land, for, you know, whether it was right. I, I plant. We planted Shiraz, I needed some Vionia, so we planted some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, the, the Sangiovese was simply something that seemed to me might work, mm. and, and it has. Mm-hmm. I would have to agree with that. Um, and as far as the, the, the way that you were making the wines, um, as far as whether you would blend stuff or whether you would do it on its own, um, was that just all kind of experimenting or you yeah, talked with people? Tasting. You no, kind of no, worked out no, what? No, just tasting. Just tasting. Okay. Yeah, I'm, you know, clearly I talk with people. Sure, because, sure. Um, but, but, uh, but in essence, it was just tasting. Hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, I, for example, when, when we made um, the Adander bread, we started off making it with Shiraz and, and uh, Merlot. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that. <laughs> okay. Then I made it with Shiraz and, and Pinot, and I like that. Mm-hmm. Then the following year, I couldn't get the, the sort of Pinot I wanted. So, and we were growing Nebbiolo that I was basically throwing away because I didn't think it was ready yet. Mm. And I thought, well, why don't we try some of that Nebbiolo? Now, you mentioned Adam's rib. Adam is. Uh is also the name of your son. Yes. And um, and he's, of course, involved with the, the business now. At what point did he sort of start to get interested in, in joining you in the, in the vineyards and the cellar? Okay. Well, he was um, um, working in bars and clubs in Sydney. Okay. And uh, I, I suspect, although he's never said it, that he had an emotional upheaval in terms of women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I was I was building our winery, sure. And uh, and I said, "Do you want to come and help?" He said, "Yeah, why not?" So he said, "I'll come for six months." <laughs> <laughs> and how how long has it been now? Uh, I don't know. He came in eighty, so fifteen years almost. Yeah. Uh, in uh, in uh, in two thousand. So sure. And um, and he he kind of embraced the um, the sustainability well, I mean, and the way of I, making I, wines pretty quickly. Yeah. Did, he, I mean, did you ever kind of butt heads on anything? No, I mean the the only complication he he started doing the Wagga course, mm. uh, which I encouraged because I wanted him to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a complication because he'd come back and he'd say, "Well, we should do that," and I'd go, "No, no, no." We're not going to do that. And, uh, and then, we, you know, he'd say, well, they said we should do that. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's one way of doing it, but I don't want to do it that way. Sure. 
Uh, and so we, this went on for a while, and in the end he said to me, why am I going there, Dad? And I said, so you can learn the science. He said, no, no, you've taught me the science. Why am I going there? He said, I go, they tell me what's right, and you come back and say they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. I said, I don't quite say that. I don't say that they don't know what they're talking about. I'm just saying that's not how we want to do it. Yeah, you know what's right for you, but uh, it might not be right for someone else. But, correct. Yeah. And, and, and he said, well, if you don't mind, I'm going to stop. <laughs> so he did. And uh, so he stopped. Sure. Um, so, he, you know, so he's, he, uh, I guess he's learned from me in the same way as I learned from the people around me in bottles of wine. Mm-hmm. And he seems to be enjoying it. But you he met a girl, you know, and that always, it's always that. that. It's always that. Um, and, like, there is sort of this lovely community now, I guess, as far as vignerons who are working in that sustainable, particularly biodynamics. And, of course, you were heavily involved with uh, with Return to Terroir yeah. um, or Renaissance des Appellations. Um, yeah. And just this year, was it? I think it was the second time yeah. the yeah. whole group um, had the yeah. opportunity to come yeah. out to Australia. And yeah. how, how have you found the... Uh, the the consumers you know the the trade and and the consumers have uh, uh, approached these wines made in a different. I style. mean, I mean, I, you know, if if what they tell me is truthful, and I have no reason to doubt that it should be otherwise, uh, they're saying that they are amongst the best tastings they go to in, in any one year. Mm-hmm. In many ways, the first tasting uh, at Zinc had more excitement because it had never been done before. Mm. Um, and so that 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 uh, is always nice. But, you know, we had, it was what we did here in at the town hall in Melbourne in March this year was very well attended. Lots mm. of people, lots of people saying good things about it. Mm. Um, I guess in the same way that, you know, the first year you enter the Adelaide Top 100, it's like, okay, that that's great, we won it. Let's put it in next year. Oh, we want it again. Lovely. That's the sort of, it's a nice consistently. So it's for, it's probably good for people to, to come back or to have at least heard about it the first time and, and to come and go, okay, cool. Yeah, this is exactly, you know, people have been talking this up. They've been really excited about biodynamics and the way people are expressing the wines and expressing the terroir. I, I, like, I like what I'm seeing here. That wine is a product of nature mm. and nature changes. And biodynamics is a way of explaining that. And I, you know, I, I, which is why I find the what's become known as a natural wine movement a bit confusing sometimes, I because I, you know, I, I know that there are people who are selling wines without sulphur and calling it natural that have come from a vineyard that is both. Uh, fertilized with salt-based fertilizers and has uh, Roundup used on the soil. Mm. So you know, there's a lot of that out there, and I, you know, I think that's a it's a great shame because I I think it's a bad thing. Well, if, and, and if Julian, if you're confused, imagine how the consumer must feel. Oh, it's, a te- it's a terrible thing. Four years ago, I took Adam and and uh, Alexi, my other son. To to stand in what was my grandfather's vineyard, mm. and while we were there, we tasted um, 
a lot of amazing wines mm. um, that were made on skins. Mm. And I really had no knowledge of those wines. For me, it was a really new experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I ran into the wines of a, an Italian producer called Dario Pritich, mm -hmm. which I liked very much. Mm. And, and we came back and we started mucking around with, uh, with skin contact. Mm -hmm. At first, only four and five and six days, little bits. Um, and those wines have turned out, although they were not understood at that time, have actually turned out to be amazing wines. Really, mm -hmm. really, really interesting. Mm. But in in the 2013 vintage, we did a uh, a full 30 days skin contact. Mm. Um, and it's just been um, one of the English newspapers, uh, the Independent, did a top 13 in the world and uh, we're in the top three with that with that one wine and what's interesting about that is that the wine is clean mm. it has all the it's all clear. the all, yes I mean slightly filtered not very highly filtered but slightly filtered but it's clean there's no there's no VA there's no bad oxidization mm -mm. None of that horrible aldehyde stuff that, mm. that's so much out there that I don't like. Mm. So, and I think people are confused by that. Yes. And I, and I mean, and like, that's why I don't like the, the term orange wine myself, because orange refers to a color and, you know, people are considering orange wine as, you know, wine made from white grapes on skins. Yet mm. you can make, you can have some really beautiful, you know, bright, yellowy golden wines with quite extended skin contact yeah doesn't resemble orange no, doesn't no. have that thick no, no because it, i mean the color comes to how hot you allow the fermentation exactly i mean it's really Absolutely. a very simple thing it, you know if you ferment it hot it, it you'll it's get you'll get you'll get some of that extracted and it'll become quite dark but i mean the one we have the uh, the harlequin we have is considered an orange wine because mm. that, that was its that was its uh, moniker in terms of what the world thinks. But, yes, but it actually isn't very orange at all. Mm -mm. Well, that's exciting. I, I, I'm not sure if I actually tried the Harlequin after. It's really good. Sort of seek really out a good. bottle of that, but uh, I'm very interested. But uh, thank you very much, Julian. I really do appreciate you making the time and being down here in Melbourne um, and uh, and being on the podcast. Um, sure. As far as um, people following um, Castagna or yourself, on are you do you do much with social media yourself? I I, I don't do as much as I should, and I get. Adam criticizes, but he does. He does enough for both of us. <laughs> but if people wanted to follow you on on Twitter or yeah, I mean, I'm we, I'm, I, um, tw Twitter is, um, I think Twitter is Castagna Wine. I think Facebook is. Um, I think it's I, just Castagna. Is it? I think so. Okay, well, you know better than me. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, uh, and 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 um, oh, Castagna Castagna Vineyard. But the, the website where people can find uh, more information and where they might be able to buy some of your wine? www.castagna.com.au Pretty easy to remember. It is, it is. And have you got any, um, any launches? You, you uh, in fact, release? we have. We, 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 we've, we've we do a, a pre-release each mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. And that actually finished 
and which we we give a really because my mailing list is so important to me we um, people who buy off us have the opportunity to buy the wines at, at really a fantastic price mm. um, and uh, so the wines are released uh, now mm-hmm. uh, but they don't get them till November right so it's a hence a true release yeah so it's a it's a true pre-release um, um, in this case all the wines except the rose are already in uh, in uh, in glass mm-hmm. uh, the rose is, isn't yet because uh, I meant we were a bit late in bottling and then it got too cold and I was worried about reduction. So, <laughs> so we're probably going to wait till September before that's bottled. But, uh, but there will be wines released in November. There will. Exciting news. But uh, thank you again and I look forward to trying some wines uh, very soon. Okay. Thank you guys, as always, for listening to another episode of the Vincast. Uh, I have been James Gersbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. And, of course, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Intrepid Wino, and the podcast can be found on Twitter at the Vincast. If you go to facebook.com forward slash Intrepid Wino, you'll find my Facebook page. And if you go to Intrepid Wino channel on YouTube, you'll find um, some of the videos I've posted, including the Let's Taste and the upcoming Let's Taste Live with uh, Brendan Carter and Gary Mills. Uh, You can find the podcast on iTunes, uh, the podcasting app, of course, Stitcher, Player FM, and you can subscribe there, and that way you'll get the newest episode as soon as it goes live. And if you do that, please do leave a rating and a review, because it really does help me spread the story of the podcast. Of course, you can find all the information at www.intrepidwino.com, including every episode of the podcast and lots of different writings and videos that are going up all the time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to Julian for joining me. Uh, Looking forward to next week's episode with Jenny Port. But until next time, bye.